Hello, friends. This is Dr. Benjamin Smith, lecturer in philosophy with Catholic Studies Academy. I'm joined today by a good friend and uh, colleague, uh, Joseph Grossheim, who's a student at the Center for Thomistic Studies, where he's studying for his PhD. And uh, today we're going to be talking about substance and the discovery of substance within natural philosophy. So this is uh, a kind of um, question, subject matter that's uh, really bedrock, I would say, within an Aristotelian uh, understanding of the natural world uh, and really of even sort of human beings, of uh, natural the natural life uh, around us. It's also a question that's important uh, from um, the point of view of metaphysics, right? We're not going to be exactly approaching it from that direction. But, um, you know, one of the things that if you know anything probably about Aristotelian or Aristotelian Thomas philosophy, you know, you know, that, you know, we'll say that something like, you know, metaphysics is the science of being and that being is primarily set of, set of substance. Right. Uh, so this sort of inquiry, right, touches on several points within uh, uh, philosophical inquiry, right, uh, within philosophical science. Uh, we hit on you know, some metaphysics some natural philosophy. It's uh, relevant uh, and uh, very much relevant to philosophical anthropology, right? To understanding, uh, philosophical understanding of the human person. So it's really important and it um, gives us an opportunity to contrast one way of looking at natural bodies, natural things, including the human being, um, in contrast to uh, um, a particular paradigm, right? That is what you might call a reductionistic paradigm, right? So one of the things when you're thinking about natural bodies or human beings is, you know, sometimes, especially with respect to humans, right, you can come up with what you might call a dualist account, right, where you have, you know, two different kinds of substances, right, and uh, there's the material substance and there's the immaterial substance, and sometimes they have some sort of relationship to each other, right, uh, but they're really two different beings, in two different kinds of reality, right? Um, and, uh, or you can sort of collapse everything into some sort of <clears throat> material account where, um, say, you reduce things to uh, simple bodies, right? That would be sort of an ancient atomistic account. Or, sort of, of course, sort of an in-between sort of position, which Aristotle always strives for, one in which we see we don't sort of attribute necessarily two different levels of being, right, or two different kinds of substance, but rather that there is uh, one unified being, right, um, that's not reducible, uh, but yet is unified and is one, right. Um, now, in the human person, of course, that becomes a little more complex, uh, but we're going to be just focusing really on the idea of, as I say, natural substance that's not reducible, right, to merely uh, simple bodies and maybe what we might call today uh, physical forces. Um, and what we're going to do is we're going to uh, sort of begin by um, really where kind of Aristotle, right, uh, begins with this, and that is with an analysis of change, right? Um, Aristotle always wants us to go with the what's you know the most known, right, as his epistemological maxim for us, right? Uh, and one of the things that's most known to uh, the senses, is, once you sort of think about it a little bit, reflect on it a little bit, is change, right? Yeah. And so he begins with uh, an account of uh, change. And to be honest, I, I don't know, Joe, how many times you had the opportunity to teach this, but this is actually one of my favorite little 
nuggets, right? Within yeah. Aristotle, right? The the sort of account of change in terms of uh, matter, form, and privation. Yeah. Um, at first, you sort of sounds kind of like really weird, right? Yeah. At first, you're just like, "What is he, this guy talking about?" Right. Yeah. Uh, but then, after you you know examine it a little bit, you're like, "Yeah, this this really is a pretty good account." Uh, you want to get us started with that, Joe? Yeah. Well, do you want to start with a little bit of his interlocutors? You mentioned sure. this idea of of maybe a two substances cooperating in the living thing, sort of like Plato, and then you've got these elementalists in the background. And Aristotle's always operating in, in conversation with the other sure. wise men, right? So yeah. uh, Plato's view of the human person was that the soul functioned as this exterior thing to the body. Well, exterior in the sense of that it is moving and pushing and driving the body in the way mm. that a motor moves and pushes and drives a car. Sure. But that is not part of it. Uh, that what you are for Plato is soul and that you right. have a body. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I, a quote like that is attributed to C.S. Lewis. Do you know if he ever actually said that, though? Uh, I'm not sure, to be honest. I'm yeah, not sure. I, I'm not sure either. But sometimes people say that he said that. Anyway. Okay. In any case, Plato certainly said something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that's, it's, not, it's not a stupid view, right? No, no. I mean, like, it, it's it's actually, I think, kind of, a, I think people are, are wildly inconsistent philosophically if they're not really trying to think about it, right? Um, but I think a lot of people sort of think of themselves as not their body, even the way right. they talk sometimes is that yeah. right way. So, uh, yeah. And even like our perception, it seems like I'm, I'm stuck inside my head. Right. And I can see all these <laughs> right. things through it. Right? right. But I'm, yeah. I'm, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Plato's anchors that whole view on a epistemology that necessitates mm-hmm. that soul existed prior to body. Right. Uh, right. so it just sort of follows from that, but we'll maybe get into that in another video. So that's on that's on the one hand, and the other hand are early edel- elementalist theories and uh, early uh, atomist theories that you mentioned, and so and these are not unreasonable either, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so Heraclitus thought that the soul would be made out of fire, right? Um, and yeah. they, they had a very simple view of the elements, as maybe our viewers know, but typically uh, air, water, earth, and fire, right? And if you're, if those are the, if those seem to be the fundamental constituents of reality, um, you might notice when you go and you, you know, you put your hand on, on somebody's forehead that they're, they're a little warm and mm-hmm. well, you know that warmth comes from fire. And so everybody's got to have a little fire in them. Right? <laughs> That's right. When they yeah. die, they get cold. Sure. sure. Right? So it's, yeah. and if you've ever, if you've ever, uh, looked at a decomposing body, right? Uh, I remember there was, uh, this is terrible, but I think I mentioned this before, there was a dead dog that died near my house when I was a kid. Like there was some woods and we would go back there and look at it occasionally, right? Uh, yeah. As kids. And what does it break down to? Comes dirt. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. right. Yeah. You know, over time, like earth, I can see it, right? You know, so yeah. It's, it make, again, there's some, there's, it makes some sense. Yeah, so they they thought that if you just got the right mixture of the right elements, mm-hmm. you would have life, which is a, a rather similar view to what we see modern materialists hold today. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but Aristotle tries to thread a middle way, like you said. Um, and what we want to focus on right now is substance, because ultimately in his work on Dayanama, that's what he's going to he's going to call the soul the substantial form of the right. body. And so if we want to really understand soul. We need to understand substantial form, and we want to start here today with substance. Yeah. So, so uh, when you get to the way to substance, this is something sometimes I've, uh, you know, 
just haven't I've known when I'm thinking about Aristotle, but I don't always thematize or uh, sufficiently aware. But you know, like our knowledge of substance really begins with our knowledge of accidents, right? Yeah. What, what we we move from accidents to substance. You know, it's always so funny to me in other in certain contexts when you use when you say such and such is an accident, right? uh people like well no no it's, it's yeah, right. substance or a substantial difference it's substantial i think when they hear the word accident they think like not important right so, yeah of course well uh, but what we really mean is just sort of like a kind of being that's modifying or uh secondary or presupposes more basic kind of being right uh and when you look at the the accidental being this is what we we see all around us right it's quantity uh it would be uh qualities think about like say colors uh, position, uh, all those sorts of things that we encounter all the time. In fact, if you think about your experience, right, your experience is flooded, right, with accidental properties, accidental being, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, this kind of modifying being um, that upon further analysis, you know, we come to sort of think, oh, there has to be some other kind of being, like this kind of accidental being is not sufficient. But uh, nevertheless, that is what's most known, right? That's what we start with. Yeah. And so I think it's helpful when you're thinking about uh, aerosols and analysis of change to start with something pretty prosaic, right? You could uh, start with, uh, uh, I used to uh, always talk about going on vacation and coming back with a tan, right? Or becoming more darkly complected. But I didn't yeah, go on a vacation yeah. this 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 year. So, um, uh, or at least not to the beach. Uh, but I do go through periods of having a longer or shorter beard, Joe, right? Yeah. And, and right now I'm kind of, I'm, I'm leaning into the fall. So I'm thinking, you know, I'm, I'm growing this out a little bit, you know? So uh, the uh, there are times, if you go back and look at other videos recently where I've had a shorter beard, right? Um, right. And uh, so you go from being less bearded to more bearded, right? Uh, <laughs> correct. I mean, it's a change. Right? Yeah. It's, a, it's a trivial kind of change, but it's a change. Now, uh, as time goes by, there have been some times where I was very bearded, which is really funny to look back at pictures and be like, wow, that, like such a beard, <laughs> right? My kids and I were uh, laughing about that last night. Um, but you wouldn't say, you would say, wow, Dr. Smith, you really grew out your beard. Yeah. You wouldn't say, who is that? Yeah. Oh, he's a new man with his, <laughs> we might say that, but we'd be joking. Right? That's right. Yeah. 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 Right. <laughs> You're speaking some really qualified sense, right? Yeah. Um, you know, so um, what we see, right, is uh, change over time. Now, I'll take a little something a little more serious. Take a, uh, talk about your family, right? So I have children. I've seen them literally grow from like this big, right? Yeah. To where my oldest son Henry is now an inch taller than I am, right? Yeah, that's that's the, I, that's interesting. And when you look at it, I mean, we all know that, of course, happens. But when you look at it, it's kind of this it, remarkable. Right? It's a huge increase in quantity, right? In terms of height, width, and weight, right? All of those uh, that like, uh, you know, enormous you know, sort of uh, um, change in quantity doesn't change the fact that he's the same individual right it doesn't change that he's the same kind of thing right yeah he didn't go from uh the change from being an infant to uh a teenager is not a change in species <laughs> no matter what you may hear otherwise right um so the 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 teenager is not a species different than homo sapien right um so uh we need to sort of account for that right so you know, again, those, those that's, that's organic. When let's take one a different example, another one. I, I remember I failed this question my my master's comps. 
Uh, which I was embarrassed oh, to no. say. The, uh, uh, it's funny how those things just burned into your that, mind. Heart. <laughs> right. So let's take, uh, uh, you know, something like, uh, um, you yeah, know, the, uh, the art, right? Um, so you have um, the, um, let's say you have lumber, right? Um, of a certain kind, and it's all planked lumber, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> or mostly and then you take that and you carve it into an icon right um that icon right that is an accidental change right right it, it's not a change in species it's still the same kind of wood or yeah. lumber it was beforehand right so here we've gone from um uncarved right um not artistic right in yeah. the fine sense to being artistic, but uh, nevertheless, that's an accidental change. It doesn't change the underlying kind of thing, right? Is that that the, I think that's the way Aristotle wants to think about those sorts of objects, right? Yeah, he uses the example of a bed, doesn't he? Yes, yep. Right, mm-hmm. Yeah, so the bed is still wood, even though it's just taken on a different sort of uh, shape. That's right. That's right. And it's not to say that it's uh, that's that's entirely trivial or unimportant. Right. Oh, yeah. Especially to the man who needs a bed. Right? That's right. Anybody who slept on, you know, a log knows the difference between a log that's, and a bed. Right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a significant difference. Um, and even in the life of an organism. Right. Uh, you say going from an infant to say, you know, uh, uh, an adolescent. Right. That change in quantity makes you capable of things you weren't capable of before right right, right. um and you said and as a father i see this thinking about my children right like uh watching them so no you can't do that no you can help me do that no you can do that on your own right mm-hmm. saying so, that's interesting right so, you know just from a you know, relational uh, perspective and observation um so those will all be examples of accidental change right um and um uh, you know, important forms of change. I mean, you can just multiply, once you start thinking about these, multiply them ad nauseum, right? Mm-hmm. Even uh, the one, uh, one other one I want to bring up is psychological, right? Because sometimes we leave that out. Uh, lots of times psych- psychological changes are actually accidental changes, which sounds a little weird at first. But what I mean is like, say, just go going from uh, ignorance of an art to knowledge of an art, right? You are changing, right? And again, that might be a very significant change. Right. Uh, in terms of your life and your understanding yeah. and all sorts of things. Right. But you and, and you might even again say, like you said earlier, in a qualified sense, oh, it's like you're a new man. Right. Or like a, yeah. you, a new person. And, and in some ways, there is something really significant there. Right. Like, yeah, those psychological changes like you you meet some friend after two years of college and they might be really different. Yeah. Right? Yeah. There's a reason we we, we hyperbolize about that. That's right. right. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, but at the same time, you still say, man. Joe has changed so much. Yeah. You don't say like, again, it's not Joe. Right. So even with the psychological change, like learning, or you could even say forming friendship, forming virtues, forming vices, right. All of those are at the level of being anyways. Right. Accidental. Right. Yeah. Um, so what we're kind of going through here is a sort of the dialectical, uh, recognition of substance that you might be able to get in from the categories where we sort of put forward just examples of things uh, and we try to see the differences. So we've gone through many. Example I always like to use is just color. 
Sure. You know, you think sure. about red. You never, I always tell the students, you never, I, sorry, I speak to teenagers when I say this, right? You never <laughs> find red anywhere just chilling. Right? <laughs> it's, it's always, it's always something which is red. That's a great, yeah. Right? But there are, great. there are things out there that, that exist simply speaking in virtue of themselves and other, other parts of reality that are only ever found in hearing in something else. So color is one of them. Size mm. is another, right? Five right. feet tall mm. is not something that is just out there. There's <laughs> not just five feet tall. There are things right. which are five feet tall, et cetera. But to, to actually get beyond just, okay, that's Aristotle's um, sort of initial observations. We want to actually show that uh, it's actually necessary Mm-hmm. That there be some what he calls the underlying substratum right, of change. Right. Yeah. And so that's where we bring in, I think, matter, form, and privation, right? Yeah. And then sort well, of work out we, from that. I want to actually start, if we can, with just the place he begins, which is engaging with the ancients again. Okay. Because the ancients recognize that change involves contrariety, mm-hmm. right? And that, that's a Sounds Explain really heady, but it's very yeah. simple. Mm-hmm. If there's going to be something which is now red, uh, and it had to change to become red, right? So there's red mm-hmm. here where there was no red before. Right. And we had to start with non-red, and then we had to get red. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's that's the that's what everybody can recognize. Whenever there's change, there had to be non-X, where now there is X. And so it seems like the ancients prior to Aristotle recognized that there had to be something that he would call privation in form. There had to be Mm -hmm. some non-being which became some being. But the challenge is how do we get that some being from this non-being that we started with? If we start with just just non-red, just Mm -hmm. non-red. Right, 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 right. How do we ever get anything (laughs) out of that, right? This is the old principle that from nothing comes nothing, that Parmenides was so concerned about, that everybody's so concerned about, right? Yeah, yeah. I was just about to jump in there and say, mention Parmenides, right? Um, I think it's important to bring out, right, that, you know, that when you you think about contrariety, that that sets up, right, the the question of, well, is change even real? Right. Like when you... When you deal with Parmenides, that's a fun and and I think necessary. This again, we're not doing metaphysics exactly here, but when I teach metaphysics, I usually start with Parmenides uh, and the denial of change, right? Um, for one, just to kind of disturb the students, but <laughs> <laughs> you know, to kind of shake them, you know, a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but the uh, but it's actually helpful, right? Because you do start to see, like, yeah, there is. I mean, there's a a, a really ground level opposition between being and non-being right uh between is not and is uh and you need to you know, like some way to account for over like you know for for um overcoming right uh that division but you're right in terms of seeing that in terms of motion right that the um that's what's going on right you go from being non-musical to musical right so yeah. you're learning the guitar right um yeah but but the non-musical and the musical are, are contrary right how could they have any yeah and one of them is even as we're saying it here it's it's non-something it is it <laughs> aligns with non-being or, or nothingness right mm-hmm. and so if that's all it is then change does seem to be impossible 
That's right. Yeah. So in Aristotle's terms, right, this is where we talk about form and privation, right? Right. We have form and privation here between these two contraries that everyone recognizes has to be part of any change. Right. Yeah. I think uh, so you have the on the privation side, the non-musical. Right. So right. When you, you express that when you say I cannot play the guitar yeah. or I cannot sing uh, or I can't sing well. Um and then you take singing lessons, right? Or you join the choir, right? And over time, you learn uh, how to organize the sounds you make, right? And how to organize literally like the way you shape your mouth, the way you breathe, all these sort of things, right? You provide a certain order to them and you go from being non-musical, right? In that sense, uh, to musical. So you kind of, in a sense, take on a form, right? Um, yeah. An organization, sort of broadly speaking. Um, but how does that happen, right? Uh, as you say, it seems as if that shouldn't be able to happen because the non-musical and the musical are opposed. Yeah. Right. So, so there ha has to be some tertium quid, right? Right, that's right. Some third thing. So the um, Aristotle has to start in, we're looking at physics one here, really. Mm -hmm. uh, Aristotle has to start by at least... Uh, poking enough holes in Parmenides' position that <laughs> right. it's not the just uh, obvious answer, right? That there is right. at least room to save the appearances. Uh, and the appearances are that things, of course, change. I'm moving my hands around, right? <laughs> Everyone can see it. <laughs> That's but, right, right. Parmenides would say that uh, it just appears that way, but but rationally we think or we, we, we realize when we think about it that it's impossible and that our mm -hmm. perception is an illusion. So... That's that's a topic for another video, how Aristotle really engages with Parmenides. Sure. But setting Parmenides aside and, and assuming that uh, change is real and that we do need an account for it, the only way to account for it is to introduce some third principle. If all we have right. is some non-being, some non-red, non-five feet tall or whatever, that becomes red or that becomes five feet tall. And that's all we have, some mm -hmm. non-being and some being the change cannot happen because from nothing, nothing comes. Right, right. So there's got to be what he calls the substratum. This right. third thing, which is present before and after the change. And so this is, this is a good way to first kind of map out, I think, the three principles of change he wants us to see. Sure. That there is something which is before the change, but not after. There is something which is after the change, but not before. Mm. Right, and right. There's a third thing which is present throughout the change and which indeed is the changing subject itself. That's right. And so like, if we go back to your example before about the musical, you kept saying, I, right. right You're already right. introducing the third, sure, sure. third thing, but we, we have to, mm -hmm. uh, it's not that we don't just say the non-musical becomes musical, mm -hmm. right? We say Dr. Smith, who mm -hmm. was non-musical became musical dr right. smith became musical he is the thing mm -hmm. that took on this new attribute of being musical whereas he was also the thing which mm -hmm. before so had this attributes let's say of mm -hmm. being non-musical right yeah yeah uh, i think that's right and it is interesting to note um uh this is kind of one of these what I, what I like to think of as like converging pieces of evidence or something 
uh, that our like you say our language tracks. Oh yeah, right with this, right? You know, uh, and our language is the sign of the way we think, right? That's right. Yeah. Expressions of our thoughts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we it would be. I mean, I've, I've before when I've taught, uh, I've uh, taught sort of uh, a lesson on sort of, um, I guess you'd call it Nietzschean phenomenalism, right? Okay. Uh, in which there is no substrate, right? period right everything is just this sort of flux of appearances yeah and 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 like the students struggle to even like object because as soon as they start to talk (laughs) their their language itself right kind of inhibits them from speaking the reality of such a you know thing right uh which again doesn't disprove it but it is sort of interesting right um uh in itself but uh okay good so now let's think about that in terms of an accidents right we were talking about earlier yeah. right an accidental change so if we were to map what we talking about accidents onto uh this sort of these three principles um like what how would we do that well yeah 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 so when we take the we can run with the same analogy of, of the musical I always personally liked the bronze statue a little bit more. Sure. Um, but we'll start with the musical. Uh, musical is not something that exists in reality. You never find musical somewhere just chilling, right? There's always something which is either uh, musical or non-musical, something which is either able to play the piano or not able to play the piano. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is an accidental quality. It's that is it's, it is not a part of reality that we ever find existing on its own. It always is found existing in a subject, mm-hmm. right? So the accident here is that something is coming to acquire this, this accident of a quality of being musical. Right, right. And the thing, the substratum or the subject, which is going to take on this new accident, is the thing mm-hmm. which can exist in reality, which you do find. Right. Uh, just chilling. <laughs> I'll try to stop saying <laughs> That's right. But um, <laughs> so we have a substance which prior to some change simply had a, a lack or privation of some quality, mm-hmm. which after the change it would come to possess. So the, the quality in this case is our accident. Right. The subject in this case is our substance. Starting before the change, it lacked some quality or some accident. And then after the change, it comes to possess the quality or the accident. It right. can go the reverse way too, of sure. course. Like you, you can forget how to play the piano. That's right. right. You, yeah. you can yeah. go from possession to privation as well, but <laughs> it, would, it would change the language a bit. Sure, corruption's part of things too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sadly enough. Um, so yeah, uh, that's that's great. And we would call that still an accidental change, right? Because of the persistence of the substratum, right? right. And so just kind of like from a experiential perspective one of the things i like to say uh, as an introduction right or introductory comment or observation about the substratum is that we we sort of experience the substratum indirectly right we don't we don't we experience it through the accidents because we recognize that there's a subject that persists right and is unified despite the act that these relatively accidental kinds of changes right so when i go from it's not a you know let's say i become musical it's not as if we say um 
his left lung is musical, right? It's it's part of this whole thing, right? It's it, you say, oh, Doctor Smith is musical, right? Yeah. Um. So there's a, a a unity there, and and I'm musical and other things, right? The it's, it's, I'm not just musical. I'm musical and a father and a citizen and philosophical and all these other things, and those are all different from each other, and yet we all attribute them to the same subject, right? Uh, and in addition to that, right, we go, we have that sort of identity over time, right? Uh, so one way in which we begin, I think, to kind of hash out this underlying substratum is that it's it's what we attribute or associate with uh, identity and unity with, I think, yeah. right? It's the unifying principle, right? You know, if you, uh, you know, I, I think you know, like if you're thinking about a person and you're and you're discussing that person with somebody else, right? You know, you, um, you know, you, you might learn things about that person you didn't know, right? But you would still sort of say there's an underlying unity there, sort of, and and persistence, right? Does that make sense? Yeah, I want to pick up with where you started actually, because uh, I think that's really interesting, worth thinking about that we we do not sense substance right mm -hmm. so one of the one of the Aristotelian categories in the under quality is what Aristotle calls effective quality that's how it's often translated and what that means is a sensible quality mm -hmm. to be hot or cold or stinky or right. red right mm -hmm. but these qualities that are the objects of our five external senses are none of them are substance right right mm -hmm. we we sense these things but mind has to grasp that these things are only ever found in hearing in a subject, right? Mm -hmm. That there is something underneath, underlying the accidents, which holds them all together into one whole thing, mm -hmm. right? One thing, Dr. Smith, right, that is right. musical and father and philosopher and uh, gracious host. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I think that's important. And it's an important uh, sort of insight of the mind, right? Yeah. Uh, that it does that. Um, so there we have a level sort of um, accidental change, right? Yeah. And, so and the identification of that underlying substratum, substratum. That just has to be there for that change to occur. That's right. That's right. Uh, and and again, we we could kind of we could kind of sort of explain this initial level, right? That we experience right this kind of unity um, and persistence identity, right, over time, and that that that's we associate that with the substratum. But there's another kind of change that we experience, right? One joyful, one sad, right? <laughs> uh, which is generation. And corruption, absolutely speaking, right? Yeah. So these are substantial changes, right? Now, if you want to talk about this, um, say at the level of, I'm not very good with this. You're younger, you might remember, you might remember this better. But you know, something like, you know, how do you dissolve gold or, or bronze or something like that? I don't know. You you, you would sort of, you would you would you change the formula of it, right? Such that it decomposes quite literally right um like i'm thinking of like the elemental <laughs> chart or something right yeah the, um um but you know so what's probably the most obvious right is in living things right oh yeah uh, and so there what we have when we're talking about generation and corruption you would be talking about um the generation 
of a new living organism, right? Um, eventual birth, you know, uh, growth, you know, to maturity, right? And then, of course, the uh, the substantial change, though, the other substantial change besides, you know, generation would be corruption, that is death, right? Um, you know, uh, there's a funny uh, little scene in Hamlet with the grave digger, right, that I always like to refer to in this uh, instance, right? Where Hamlet is asking what, what you know, who what man is to be buried, and the digger's like, No man, sir. And he's like, Ah, well, what woman then? You know, and the grave digger says, No woman either. Oh, Nave, who is it to be buried here? Ah, one who was a woman, but God rest her soul. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like the digger was actually the grave digger was on his on his Aristotle, right? yeah. <laughs> uh, as a matter of fact, right? A corpse is not a human. Yeah. Right. And you don't have to be Aristotelian to know that, right? That's Everyone true. knows that yeah. you um yeah. that there's just there's a there's a infinite gulf between absolutely the cadaver and the living person that it once was, right? Or that the yeah, the just between the two parents and this third human being that comes to be from yeah. them, right? Mm-hmm. That yeah, I don't think. I don't, I don't think it, it takes too much thinking to recognize sure. that there's there's just something obviously different. Yeah, and so this is this is what we'd call a substantial change, right? Yeah. Because we have a we have a change in uh, the underlying being, right? Yeah. Be, being as it's primarily said, not as it's secondarily said. Yeah. And so this so, is I have the text here, Physics One, where Aristotle yeah. first introduces this and. For anyone who cares, it's it's, uh, Becker number 190A, around 33, he says, but there are different senses of coming to be. In some cases, we do not use the expression come to be, but we say, come to be so-and-so. In other words, it comes to be in a certain respect. It comes to take on a certain quality or quantity. Mm -hmm. But he says, he goes on, only substances are said to come to be in the unqualified sense. What he means is that um, it's not that when when a new life is is generated, right? The the child is conceived in his mother's womb. Mm-hmm. It's not that um, oh, it it took on a certain quantity, right? right. It took on right. a certain quality. It comes to exist where it did not exist before. So we're talking about existence itself. A thing comes to exist where it did not exist before. Mm. Not that the thing which already exists comes to take on some quality or quantity that it did. Right, right, right. That's right. Yeah, 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 that's good. Now, of course, uh, in saying that, there's some complications with respect to the rational soul, so we'll kind of leave that out. Yes, yes, for sure. Uh, But with respect to, say, animal life in general, right, when there's generation... Uh, it's not as if we're talking about something coming from absolutely nothing, right? Obviously, right. There's the you know the parents contributing, uh, the material conditions, uh, you know that come together, um, and you know they have specific powers, right? That are organized to create a new individual of that species, right? Um, and so what you have right is um, an individuated, ver- an individual right um of a type of a species right yeah so you have uh a new badger right that is not identifiable either with the father or with the mother right 
or with any of the reproductive cells that they use to make the new batch. That's right. It's yeah. something different than all of these. That's right. Yeah. So yeah. it's, uh, uh, and it's, but it's one too, right. right. As well. So we say it's, that's what we mean by individual, right. It is uh, neither of these, <laughs> right. And it's itself, right. Yeah. It's the whole, right. Um, it's not two different things, right. Uh, it's one thing. Yeah. Um, so hence individual, right. Um, and that individual persists over time, right? So whatever the badger life cycle is, and then eventually, right, it ceases, right? Uh, in the case of badger, as opposed to human, ceases to exist altogether, mm -hmm. right? Um, uh, in which case, right, you have um, no longer a unified, right, uh, individual of that species, right? But a literally falling apart decomposing right uh uh thing right back into the to the more fundamental or more basic i should say substances of elements so yeah, so we want to be a substantial yeah right so the aristotle starts with accidental change and we start with accidental change because it's the easier easier place to see the truth mm -hmm. right right um this is this is harder, right? We right. <laughs> um, because before we were able to say, and I think without too much contest, that you have something that's non something which is non musical that becomes musical. But everybody knows that there are things out there which possess mm -hmm. these qualities. At right. the one time they're lacking, that they come to possess later. We want to take those three principles of change: the mm -hmm. privation or the lack. That's before the change, the, the later form or the possession that comes to be after the change and the substratum. Mm -hmm. And we want to map those. And we really we have to be able to map those onto substantial change where we get a new substance that we did not have before. Mm -hmm. So uh, the challenge is going to be not really identifying the contraries, the mm -hmm. privation and the form. Because the, the privation is that this thing doesn't exist. And then the, the possession later after the change is that it now does exist. Mm -hmm. The challenge is going to be what on earth could be the substratum for that change? Because what we're saying mm -hmm. is that a thing is coming to exist where it did not exist before. The, the privation that we're starting with is non-being mm -hmm. in the strict sense, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So Aristotle here, he has to, he knows, he, he knows there has to be a substrate. Right. Because from the non-being that you start with, you never, ever get anything other than non-being. You can never pull being out of nothing unless you're God. Right, 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 right. right. Uh, <laughs> so just to just say, again, when you're talking about non-being here, you're not talking about absolutely nothing, right? You're talking well, about like the lack of, uh, well, we have to, we, we will have to situate that privation, which mm -hmm. is in itself, the privation in itself is non-being. Yes. Right. We have to situate it, as we'll see, in something which something, was before, right? Yeah. Right? Yep. Yep. Um, so, but we, we can't, we can't jump into that. Yeah. We have to start with just the, the brute force of the question, which is how do you get something that comes to exist in this unqualified sense, a new mm -hmm. substance? from what was the opposite, which was a non-existing thing. Mm -hmm. So the, the first thing we have to be able to push is that 
there, there has to be a substratum underlying the change somehow. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, the change is impossible. Right. Um, Aristotle calls that substratum prime matter. Right, right, right. right, right. And, and that's, uh, this is this could be tough to wrap your mind around if you've <laughs> not been faced with it before. Because uh, when he says prime matter, he doesn't mean like the matter on my desk mm-hmm. that I can knock on, right? That mm-hmm. I can see and, and be witness to. And that he's talking about something which is not sensible. Mm-hmm. But he's also not talking about substance. We talked about substance earlier and we said, oh, sure. it's not sensible. Right. This is something different than substance. It, right. is, it is the substratum for when one substance changes into another. Yeah. Right. He says it's only known by analogy. And the analogy yeah, here is accidental change. So we start sure. with accidental change. We recognize what has to be part of mm-hmm. change by looking at accidental change. Mm-hmm. And then we bend our minds towards substantial change and we try to find each of these parts. That's and right. Prime matter has to be, has to be postulated, you could say. Sure. But it's necessary. Right. If there's right. going to be a change at the level of substance, there has to be a substratum or a thing which is changing. Mm-hmm. But I, I should be very careful about calling it a thing. Thing. <laughs> right. Sure. Sure. So, uh, and, you know, when you're talking about prime matter, of course, we're, uh, you know, um, it's something like the kinds of other examples of matter that are less mysterious, right? Uh, you know, so we, we, you know, when you're thinking about, you know, again, Aristotle is is being methodologically rigorous here. Yeah. Um, he's going from the more known to the less known, right? And what we know more uh, are the accidents, yeah. right? And what we know about the accidents is quite secure, right? In Aristotle's own uh, estimation of this, right? And so it's not as if he's just sort of, you know, arbitrarily, um, right? you know, coming up with this and then sort of forcing it into another level. He's saying, look, I know this. Now from this, I will move forward, right? And apply this analogously to another uh, um, subject matter or another yeah. level, right, of inquiry. Um I think it's important to see that there is a kind of rigor there. And then secondly, and you know, um, when you're thinking about prime matter, right? You're, you're thinking ultimately about some sort of potency for change, right? Um, but even before we get quite to the level of, say, prime matter, right? Prime matter is, it's kind of like a postulate that's sort of ultimate, right? Yeah. But it's sort of a, a more proximate level we can still think about substantial change without ex- while still thinking about a kind of matter that's not quite prime matter. My example here being uh, water, right? So we can talk about sort of hydrogen, oxygen being the matter, right? For the substance of water, right? Um, albeit ultimately there, you know, prime matters in the background, right? Um, of that, um, explanation but uh approximately right we know that uh it's matter now why why is it why would i call hydrogen oxygen matter relative to water well because hydrogen and oxygen can take on a formula right or not take on a formula <laughs> right that raises it to the level of uh being a substance right uh that is the substance of water and if i remember correctly aristotle thinks of the elements as the most basic kind of substance right Mm -hmm. 
which is interesting because that that means we shouldn't be surprised right to find uh the elements at work in other higher level substances right because they're the most basic sort of building you know yeah that's a good it's a good way to think about it so there's um substances uh vary in complexity right, right. That, there's a certain yeah. order you could say of substances which have more and more powers which are the composition of uh more and more complex arrangements of matter that's maybe a way to express it mm -hmm. uh where h2o or water is this very very basic composition right. of mm -hmm. what we call elements mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. um but h2o is used in any number of living things and in that's many right. different ways and and Very it's hardly it's hardly <laughs> the most complex of even the baseline sort of molecules that are operative in living things. Right. So, yeah, we shouldn't be surprised that higher order substances go through change and we don't. Like what we see in the changes, it, well, it looks like it was. Uh, it's hard to express because you don't it's not like you start with human flesh but let's see, if we think about death which is a little bit easier in which we have sure. more direct experience of mm -hmm. uh, if you have like the 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 death the dog you mentioned before um it's uh when it dies it becomes it sort of decomposes into these more fundamental substances but right. still substance right right yeah. decomposes into uh first just flesh and bone Right, mm -hmm. flesh and bone, which is not ordered to some sort of whole dog, it's just falling apart. Mm -hmm. And then even that will eventually decompose into more basic elements like uh, the dirt. Right. Mm -hmm. Finally, we get back to Aristotle's earth, <laughs> right? earth right? Yeah. The right, earth right. and the water mm -hmm. sort of pour out of the dying dog. That's right. Yeah. So, what is it then, right, that transforms the matter, hydrogen, oxygen, matter, relatively speaking, or analogously speaking here? into uh water right well it's a formula right and to to, to put it in Aristotelian terms, it's a form it's a structure it's an organization that binds these things together in such a way that a new thing emerges right um now this isn't i don't think meant to be spiritual or mystical or immaterial okay right this is a kind of uh, structure. And we even think about it as formula, right? We have H2O. That is the formula uh, for uh, water. And it's only when it combines in that sort of arrangement, right? That it um, uh, takes on, right? Right. This other kind of being, which is water, right? How do we know it's another kind of being? We could say this, you know, postulate or argue is that uh, because water has properties and attributes and powers, right, that hydrogen on its own or oxygen on its own um, doesn't have. And we can even say the reverse, right? That is that, that, um, that the hydrogen and oxygen that are taken up in the water no longer act as they would have uh, in isolation. Right. You cannot breathe the oxygen that is in H2O. <laughs> that's that's right? a great example, right? Yeah. yeah. So um, uh, if you think about, uh, uh, go back here to our accidental levels of change, right? So again, kind of following Aristotle here to kind of 
I like, you know, I like Jilson's uh, uh, just the title of his book, Methodical Realism, right? Because uh, I think there is something meant to be sort of methodical here, right? Like you're, you're, you're bringing your mind back over these things over and over again, right? And there's sort of a kind of a force to it when you see uh, experience the repetition. But when you think about the, the kinds of uh, accidental changes we talked about before, right? Going from, uh, say, the not bronze statue to the bronze statue, right? Uh, going from the piece of wood to the icon, going from the unmusical man to the musical man, right? In those instances, we're talking about uh, what makes the difference, what accounts, and this is important to say, and I don't know if we said this adequately, an accidental change is still a change in being, right? Yeah. Some, we, we forget that sometimes, right? It's not an illusion. It is a change in being, right? Something real has happened, right? Right. Uh, and, uh, so what, what real, there's a real change there. And that real change happens because of the, um, substratum taking on a new form, namely an accidental form. Right. And it's that form that makes what was potentially musical to be actually musical. Right. So that when our, in our inquiry into accidental, uh, change, right. And being, we discover the principle Right, that 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 makes to be right uh, uh, in a certain way, right, is uh, is form or accidental form, right? Yeah, and the the way we discover it isn't it's not really too loaded. What I mean is, uh, all we're trying to say right now is uh, about form and about matter is that they're the necessary conditions for this change to occur. So right. what we're saying about form right now is just that it is either the thing itself or some accidental characteristic of the thing, which is present now that wasn't present before. The matter that we're talking about right now is just the substratum of the change, right? That's yeah, what yeah. we know it to be. And that's all that we're asserting that it is, right? Sure, sure. Yep, yep. I think that's yeah. important. That's good. Because um, uh, Yeah, I think it's important because I think the... There's uh, both friends and enemies of Aristotle sometimes um, say over, over, like try to make it overly immaterial, right? We're not uh, pausing anything immaterial here. What we are saying, though, this is important, is at the level of accidental being, the organization, the structure, the form um, is determinative about this sort of being, right? So, um, it's not enough to be a man yeah to be musical yeah right that that uh being human uh makes you potentially a man it's a necessary condition of being musical right but it's not um sufficient right something has to be added to right uh the substratum of man and that uh that's more determinative right in this sense in this case right namely the form or structure or organization yeah so that's, I think that's a pretty good walkthrough of this account of change mm -hmm. and identifying form and uh, matter coming into uh, composition in change, right. right? Where some sort of matter, either maybe the, the bronze of a statue, which started unshaped and became sure. shaped like Zeus, or the prime matter, which underlied a change from wood to ash when it burned, right. Um mm -hmm. We've, I think we've walked through that pretty pretty well. Now, what do we want to bring this point to bear upon? I think what we want to say then is, okay, well, what is it that's the cause, right? 
you know, again, marching forward methodically here, uh, having secured, right, the conclusion that accidental form is the cause, right, of accidental change, not the only cause. So if we were right, right, further, right. It's a cause. Right. Yeah. Uh, we would we'd hash out the doctrine of the causes and everything, right? Uh, can't go all that way there right now. But, uh, but then, you know, applying that consistently, right, to this other level, right, of change, right, we um, can say that I think we already sort of have an indication, right, and then we can sort of test it, right, but uh, an indication that the cause of substantial change is another level of form, right, namely substantial form. Now, I want to say here really quickly, again, uh, when I say substantial form, I'm not talking about something mystical. Even when I talk about the soul, right? And I, I, I like to talk about the soul first by not talking about the human soul, the rational soul. Yeah. Right? Let's talk about the an, the plant soul or the animal soul, which sounds weird to people when they first hear it. But soul, I'm going to say this in an odd way at first, but is just, right, the kind of form, right, that bestows um, nutritive power, right, Be, being alive, right? It's... Um, and so in that sense, it's not some sort of wildly spiritual thing. Um, I don't remember exactly what Plato thought about plants. Um, yeah. but it's not, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a spirit, it's not a god. It, interestingly, right, that I mean, this is an idea, right, that some of the ancients have, right? That that all things are full of gods, right? It sounds kind of crazy at first, but you think well, you know, if things move around. And you're kind of going to have a dualist account, right? You could say, oh, it's little gods moving everything, our little souls, right? Um, but if you don't want to think about that way, what, what we're talking about then is there's a kind of form that bestows life, right? A kind of substantial form, right? That bestows life, right? Uh, that's just all soul is, right? And similarly, when I say substantial form, what I'm saying is uh, it's a kind of form that bestows a certain kind of being, a certain level of existence. What is that? I think Aristotle describes it uh, accurately, right? As that which is in itself and is said of itself, right? The, that level of being, right? So, and, and then of course, what is that? Like Locke, you know, he likes to say, oh, substance is something I know not what, right? Yeah. Because he can't, because, and this is important, because he doesn't have a sense impression of it. That's what it comes down to for Locke. I don't see anything there. Right. right. Uh, and I think, you know, he needed to read his Aristotle a little more carefully. Locke was a smart guy, but uh, even Locke make, can make mistakes. Um, that uh, what is, well, what's for, what, what is that substantial, what, you know, like what's accidental form? It's an organization structure or order. Right. And I think that's what you would say at the substantial level as well. Right. That there is a structure, an organization, an order, a sequence, a formula, if you like. Such that it cre that it not creates but uh, generates uh, a kind of being that is set that exists in itself and is said of itself. Yeah, right. I think I think it's it's really worthwhile to actually like let ourselves be confronted with the distinction between the animate and the inanimate. Sure, you know you bet you're, you're you see animate things all the time and you sort of I don't know we see them all together with all the inanimate things around them. But if, if you could just imagine that you, you lived on Mars where everything was inanimate, <laughs> right. somehow you didn't know that you were animate. Right. But then somehow you, you came to a planet like earth and all, 
and things are moving <laughs> and growing and reproducing. Like it it's, kind of freak it's you a out. wild gulf. <laughs> it's a wild gulf yeah. between the animate and the inanimate. And it, <clears throat> uh, we should let ourselves be confronted by that and, and force ourselves to ask the question, why is this different? Right. Right. right? There, there has to be some sort of account there. Um, which necessitates a different kind of substantial form. Like you're on Mars and you can recognize the difference between different kinds of rocks on the ground. And that, well, that's one substantial form. That's a different one. And mm -hmm. I could change one into the other perhaps, mm -hmm. but uh, we need a different kind of substantial form when we find things moving around and reproducing and devouring other things so <laughs> right. they can grow. <laughs> right. uh, rocks don't do that. Right. Yeah. So that's, that's why we want to use the word soul to right. distinguish that substantial form right. from all the other ones that we talked right. about before. Right. Uh, we need a new word because it right. is a different kind of substantial form. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's important. That's great. Uh, in fact, you know, uh, Joe, I think, you know, the, the, you're talking about the Martian who comes to Earth. What he's going to experience is wonder. Yeah. Right. That's right. And that's exactly what. And then he's going to be like, OK, I need to figure like this Full of questions. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. And I think, you know, uh, I think maybe uh, Joe on the opposite side of it, when we, one of the things we like about certain fantasy accounts, right. Or science fiction accounts is they pr can produce wonder. Like when you have the inanimate things uh, suddenly become animate, right. You know, it's like, what is that? Like, that's sort of like, you know, yeah. you have some sort of metallic structure that starts to move around and talk to you and, you know, that kind yeah. of thing. Or, um, you know, say, you go from living to intelligent. Like, why, why do we let you like the people love the ants, right? In in Middle Earth, right? Well, the trees, right? Yeah. And but then there's a community of them, and they talk, right? And they can talk with you. Yeah, I, yeah, that's that's wonder, good. You know, in uh, us, and I think, oh wow, yeah, like that's that that draws the the intellect. I think um, we're getting close to 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 wrapping up here in terms of time. I think all of this analysis and, and, and inquiry is really helpful and um, interesting to me. I'll let you kind of follow up with this. One of the things that this starts to lead me towards what this analysis and, and form of inquiry leads you towards, I think is hylomorphism, right? Ultimately, right. That we, when we start looking at a human being, we start seeing different levels of combination of form and matter. Right. That's what hylomorphism means. Right. Is that is that substances are content are, are, are uh, composite substances. Right. Are composed of form and matter. Right. Um, and and it's and one way of thinking about this. Right. Is to say that the list of ingredients is not a sufficient account. Right. Uh, that in addition to the uh, list of ingredients, you need an organization in a sequence, right? They're both at the level of um, accidental being and at the level of substantial being. Um, the ingredients are not sufficient, yeah. right? Uh, you have to have a sequence in order. Um, a really sort of uh, prosaic ex uh, example of this or illustration, right, is um, uh, a pretty famous one used often is, is a cake, right? You know, the if you just have the ingredients and put them in a bowl and say, "Here, Joe, eat up," right? Yeah, it's going to be disgusting, right? right. Uh, it's not going to be a cake, right? And I'm bad at I'm good at cooking, but bad at baking, right? <laughs> because yeah. if there's too many steps, right? But you actually have to combine the ingredients 
under a certain formula, right? Uh, and and apply temperature for a certain time, right? Like there's all these these things that go in there that actually make the cake, right? Yeah, that's a simplistic example, but we could say something more, something similar about water, right? That that physical beings, and this is really just at the level of physical. We could take it to the level of, you know, talking about humans and, and psychology. This is actually the proper propedeutic, right, for the study of the soul. Uh, we don't jump into the study of the soul, right? We start this with this way. Um, but that uh, even just at the level of talking about animal life, plant life, um, physical things, the the ingredients, the, the what you might just call the composition, uh, is not sufficient. You need both the stuff, non-technical term, and the uh, organization. And yeah. I, I just add that I think in this model, form is more determinative than matter. Now, I'd have to kind of argue that out a little bit more, but I, that's the direction, right, yeah. that this sort of inquiry leads us to. Did you want to add? add yeah, that? just that it building off of the cake analogy towards living things, the, the striking difference, and it really should strike us, Mm -hmm. is that the cake is composed from the outside. There is somebody else that's mixing the ingredients. Right, right. But the living thing in remarkable and yet unknown ways, right, <laughs> takes in all this matter from the outside and puts it exactly where it needs to go. Mm -hmm. You think about you think about early embryonic stages where the, sure. the zygote is composed of stem cells. Stem right. cells, because they could become any uh -huh. number of different cells, sure. but they become the right cells, right? Mm -hmm. Always or for the most part. Right. My skeletal structural is, structure is the same as yours, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of shape, morphe. Right. right. So uh, I think that's really remarkable, that there, sure. there is something inside the living thing that determines Mm -hmm. the the matter and the arrangement and the order it the recipe right mm -hmm. it it has the recipe that it executes on its own right um, and yeah. it doesn't yeah. like it's not random how many arms a human person sure. has or, sure. or where they grow hair or where their <laughs> eyes are it's always in the same places right that's right that's and right it, it takes the same matter it starts with the stem cell matter and it just gradually builds it out directing the matter according to some form Mm -hmm. right it's sure, the best sure. word for it that's right yeah i think uh that's great uh joe um you think then about this this uh inquiry you know producing both wonder also suggesting right uh you know nature acting for an end <laughs> right on the way towards that right? we haven't mm -hmm. proven that right but this is again the kind of uh inquiry that that leads to that sort of um uh, uh, conclusion along with right the the you know again there's more argument to be made but the kind of inquiry that uh is very suggestive right of the conclusion that you don't adequately explain or understand a thing by only reducing it to its parts right you have to also and especially pay attention to its order and so forth which like you say i think ultimately sort of points towards these higher levels of causes like efficient causality and, and those sorts of things right um that brings you into the view of the universe is actually very complex and uh uh interesting and beautiful right yeah. um good good well thanks so much joe i appreciate your your time and your thoughts and energy and talking about all this uh um 
I hope uh, our audience has enjoyed it. If you have, please be sure to like the video, share it with others. If you haven't already subscribed, uh, please do so. If you want to do a little bit more ancient philosophy and political theory, I've got some stuff over at Logos Letter 2022. Uh, you check that on Substack. Thanks so much, everybody. God bless. <laughs>